when I travel, there's a a trick I like to do or, or something I like to do when I travel. When I travel, I like to pick an album and some music and make that like the soundtrack to my trip. You see, like I did that when I was in high school. I kind of stumbled on that and I listened to the same album over and over and over on a trip in West Virginia. And I remember the afternoon that I listened to the album over and over. And it's something I kind of listen to things over and over and kind of kill them and then move on and listen to something else. But on that trip, because I listened on this long drive on a dreary day in West Virginia, now anytime I go back and listen to one of the songs from that album, I like think of that day, that dreary day in the winter in West Virginia, driving down the interstate. I've done it at other times. I took a class uh, or a series of classes and a mission trip to Indonesia and I picked two albums and I listened to them over and over and over and over. And so I think of that trip. In fact, on that trip, I actually had a driver. We had a driver. He was a student at the school we were working with. And he had this top 40 song that he loved. And I didn't know it until that trip. But anytime we got in the car with him, he cranked this song. He knew no English. He couldn't talk to us, but he would play this song. And so now if I want to, if I want to get the feeling of being in Indonesia, I turn that, that song on and something about that memory kind of resurfaces with that there. So I kind of create a sound when I travel. This is the sound of Indonesia. This is the sound of West Virginia. This is the sound of that vacation. And I was thinking of that today because I'm curious what Christianity sounds like for you. Like if Christianity was a soundtrack, what would the soundtrack sound like? For you, it could be the soundtrack that says, be a good boy, be a good girl, and God will love you. Follow the rules and make sure that you, that you color inside the lines and that you do everything right. Maybe that's when you hear the soundtrack of Christianity, that's what you hear. Maybe when you hear the soundtrack of Christianity, you hear, here is the list of things that you've done wrong. And these are all the things that makes God unhappy with you. Maybe when you, maybe when you think of the soundtrack of Christianity, it sounds like um, God promises to make everything in your life easy and happy. And so I'm curious what the soundtrack of Christianity sounds like for you. Today, we're in a series called The One, where we're walking through the, the account of Jesus' arrest and trial and death and resurrection in the book of Luke. We're walking through Luke 22, 23, and 24. And we're, we're looking at how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people. And today, we're going to be looking at Jesus' trial, where we begin to get a better picture of what the soundtrack the sound of Christianity should really be like. I think, I think Jesus' trial tells us this is what Christianity sounds like. So go ahead and, uh, if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me. Grab your phone and turn that, uh, turn that on and go to Luke. We're going to begin in chapter 22, verses, verse 66. Luke chapter 2, verse 20, verse 60, starting verse 66. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, 
you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. Let's pray. God, as we open your word and we walk through these trials that Jesus faced, God, help us to hear what you want us to hear. Help us to begin to hear in Christianity a true soundtrack of freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what we start with here is the Jewish trial of Jesus. Jesus has been arrested. The story says that he was interrogated before the Jewish leaders, but they couldn't have a legal trial according to the Jewish system at, in the dark at night. And so they have to wait for dawn. And that's the point that we get to here. Jesus has a trial before them. And I want you to notice that in this Jewish trial, they, there, three terms are used. They, they, they say, are you the Messiah? Your translation may say the Christ. Are you the, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the deliverer that God has promised us? And Jesus gives them this answer. He says, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I asked you, you wouldn't answer me. Jesus is like, you have already made up your minds. No matter what I tell you, you're not going to listen. But you also don't know enough, don't believe that I'm not, so you can't say that I'm not, but you have already made up your minds. You won't listen. You won't follow. So he says that the the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. So they ask if you're the Messiah and he says, I'm the son of man, a term that Ezekiel used for the promised Messiah, for God coming to deliver his people. But then they say, are you then the son of God? So they ask, are you the Messiah? Jesus says, I'm the son of man. And they say, are you the son of God? This, This movement like raises the stakes and Jesus uses uh, an idiom, he uses an expression to say, are you, uh, you say that I am. That, that's your, Jesus is saying, those are your words. I claim to be the son of man in your words. Yes, I am the son of God. And so in this, they say, what more do we need? What more the testimony do we need? This man has claimed to be God. We've heard it from his own lips. And so in this Jewish trial, they find him guilty and Because Jesus said, yes, I am the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God. So then we get to uh, chapter 23. This second scene is the second trial that Jesus faces here in the book of Luke. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, notice that they had just asked, are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? And notice what they accuse him of. We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be a Messiah, be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. Here is the first trial of Jesus before Pilate. Pilate is, is the ruler there in Jerusalem appointed by the Romans. And so they, the, the Jewish leaders bring him, bring Jesus to Pilate. And instead of accusing him of breaking the law, 
the Jewish law, of being a Messiah, uh, of breaking the Jewish law, of claiming to be God, because they know that the Romans have no respect for that. He, they instead make three new charges up. They say, he's subverting our nation, he opposes payment of taxes to Caesar, and he claims to be Messiah, a king. That it, it's obvious that these are that these are lies. These Jewish leaders that are supposed to lead the people in the, you know in in righteousness in loving God have decided it's worth lying to try and get Jesus condemned. And so they they make up these the, uh, the first two charges. And so Herod keys in on the on the third charge: Are you actually the King of the Jews? Because that would be something the Romans care about. That would be something that the Romans care about. And so Jesus, in a, again, in an idiom, in a, in a round of, in, a, in a, a way of speaking says, you have said so, yes. But, but Heron questions him and says, I don't find any basis for charging this man with leading the people astray, with subverting the nation. With, I don't find any basis for saying that this man claims to be the king of the Jews opposing Rome. And so here in Jesus' first trial with Pilate, Pilate makes it clear that he does not find Jesus guilty. Then we come to, but then Pilate realizes there might be a way out of this. The Jewish leaders are really set on this. I don't find this man guilty, but let me find a way out of this. So then picking up in verse six, it says, on hearing this, Pilate asked if, if, he, if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. So Pilate tries to find a way out of this by sending Jesus to Herod. And, and Herod is excited to see Jesus because he had heard that Jesus can do miracles and he wanted to see a miracle. And so Herod begins asking him questions. The Jewish leaders come alongside as the prosecution saying, look at all of these things that Jesus has done. Jesus doesn't answer and Herod ridicules him, mocks him, and sends him back to Pilate, finding him not guilty. So this, the third trial ends with another not guilty verdict. And so Herod finds him not guilty, but mocks him, ridicules him, sends him back to Pilate. And then verses 13 to 25, give us this fourth scene, this, this fourth trial. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. And said to them, you brought me this man who was one inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. 
Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. This scene, this fourth trial, is just this this bizarre event that begins with the judge saying, I find no basis for finding this man guilty of leading the people astray, of leading the people in rebellion against Rome. And so so he says, I don't find him guilty. And then he just very bizarrely says, therefore, I will punish him and then I will release him. I don't find him guilty of anything, but I'm going to punish him. Then I'm going to release him. But the, the people rise up shouting, we want Barabbas, introducing into the story a guy who actually is guilty of leading rebellion against Rome. That was Barabbas' crime. That's what he'd been found guilty of. That was his specialty, is to lead the Jewish people to rebel against Rome. And they say, we want this, this true insurrectionist, this true rebel leader. We don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas. And so ultimately, Pilate gives in to their wishes. Pilate shows that he has no integrity, that he's not a a just judge, says, I find him not guilty, and yet I'm going to release this guilty man and condemn Jesus in his place. These four trials, the first trial he's found guilty because he says, yes, it is true. I am the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah. The second trial, not guilty. The third trial, not guilty. The fourth trial, not guilty and condemned anyway. What I want to show you is that these trials give us a soundtrack to what Christianity actually sounds like. I want to show you three applications that we, that we find here in this story. First, Jesus' trial shows us that the innocent was killed by the guilty for the sake of the guilty. What we find in this story is that the only innocent man was killed by the guilty for the sake of the guilty. The trial establishes this. Everybody understands that Jesus is not guilty of uh, insurrection against Rome. Everybody knows that Jesus is not leading a rebellion against Rome. It is abundantly clear to Pilate, to the Jewish leaders, to Herod, that Jesus is not guilty. The trial makes this abundantly clear. Jesus is innocent. The only thing that he's found guilty of is the thing that he said that that he's found guilty of is the, the very thing that he said he had done. Yes, I am the son of man. I am the son of God. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And so he's found guilty for being who he actually is. And so But the people that are calling for his death, those whose will it is that Jesus be crucified, the ones who are the prosecution in this matter are the ones who are actually guilty. The Jewish leaders are the ones who take and break God's law in an effort to get Jesus put to death. And so what we find in this is that it's the guilty who actually rise up to crucify the innocent one. And then... As we look at Barabbas, and then as we begin to look at ourselves, we see that not only do the guilty put Jesus to death, but Jesus is put to death for the sake of the guilty. You you see, in the soundtrack of Christianity, we don't actually shove guilt to the side and act like it's not there. 
We don't act like guilt, oh, guilt, oh, it's just not a big deal. It's something that is put on us from the outside. We should just be able to move past that, ignore our sin and move on. No, the soundtrack of Christianity is like an awareness of this is what's actually happened. The, the guilty are actually guilty. God doesn't ignore this guilt. God actually raises this high. And then we find here in Jesus' trial, that God actually comes as the innocent one dying for the sake of the guilty, not just at their hands. And so when we begin to look at our own sin in our own lives, we actually are no longer crippled and be like, oh, I could never apologize for this. I could never, I can't, I can't bear to look at this. Instead, we can, in the light of the gospel and in the light of Jesus' trial, say that my guilt does not have to be borne by me. The guilty put to death the innocent. For the sake of the guilty. But the, the reality is that this is something that has to be received. We actually have to, to take this in. This isn't just this blanket statement that, oh, nobody's guilty anymore, that the innocent has died in everybody's place. The Bible is clear to us that from the beginning, Adam and Eve and everyone after them has turned away from God, bringing guilt and shame and condemnation on ourselves. The, the, the state that the Jewish leaders are in in this story is our state, and we have to receive this from God, from the outside. This isn't something that we can just uh, muscle up and be a little bit better. We're not called to be Jesus in the trial, but to instead be Barabbas in the trial and take the freedom that Jesus offers us. I mentioned a second ago, Adam and Eve and everybody after them rebelling against God. Each one of us is our own rebel leader. And the Bible is very clear that God will one day crush his enemies, not because they've rebelled against Rome, but because they've rebelled against God. And so the invitation to you and I is to receive Jesus and to take the freedom that Jesus offers us. That Jesus, the innocent, comes to die in the place of the guilty and of you and me. And so my question is, will you receive this? Have you received this? Do you now receive this? The soundtrack of Christianity sounds like the, the freedom that Barabbas ex enjoyed in this story. The soundtrack of Christianity sounds like the freedom that Barabbas enjoyed. And so do you receive this? The second application that we learn from this story is that the leaders show us faulty false responses to Jesus. The leaders in this story show us false responses to Jesus. The Jewish leaders, their minds were made up. They would not hear anything that Jesus had to tell them. They, Jesus says, if, if I tell you, you won't listen. And if I ask you, you won't say anything. You, your minds are made up. You will not listen or follow me. You're doing what you want to do. And so, this is a false response that you and I can have walking, going through life saying, this is what I want, God. My mind is made up. Will you do what I tell you? The leaders show us this false response. My mind is made up. I'm doing my own thing. We find another false response in Herod who is curious because Jesus is interesting, but he's only interested in Jesus to entertain him or to meet his own needs. Herod wants Jesus the way that we are often tempted towards believing and coming to God only for the things that he can give us. God, if you will heal me, God, if you will fill my bank account, God, if you will prosper my career, God, if you will give me the things that I have been asking you for, then I will follow you. 
we end up finding that Herod's response, curious, but I'm only in it for what I want. It's a false and fake response. Then we find in Pilate, this cruel, self-serving leader who says, I find nothing in him to, to be guilty of. So I'm going to beat him. Then I'm going to release him. I find nothing that he's done wrong, but I just care about having control here. So I am going to do whatever I want to Jesus. The truth doesn't matter to Pilate. It's just holding on to power, getting what he wants from life. These three responses are inadequate responses to Jesus. We look at the story, this story of Jesus' trial, and we can begin to see our own responses to Jesus. We can be tempted to say, God, my mind is made up. I'm not actually following you. I am actually setting the agenda of my life. I'm setting the agenda for my family. I'm setting the agenda for my finances. God, I'm setting the agenda. We can find ourselves like Herod, only in it as long as God is meeting the felt needs that we have. God, if you're doing the things I want you to do, then I'll follow you. Or we can be like Pilate. Cruel, self-serving, doesn't care about the truth, is only in it for what he can do, get and do and control. I'm reminded when we look in um, the book of Acts that, that that's a, that's a, a temptation that, that even the early Christians had. Ananias and Sapphira were a, a rich couple who saw the recognition that others in the church were getting and the honor that they were getting for their sacrifice. And so they sold some land and then lied about how generous they were just to get a better reputation in the church. They weren't actually in it because they loved Jesus, because they were following Jesus. They wanted to, to bless God's people and love him. They were in it to get things for themselves. And what we end up finding is God's judgment coming on Ananias and Sapphira as God kills them. Kills them as a, as a message that like, you guys aren't actually even following me. You're just in this for yourselves. Serving yourselves, seeking for your own gain, seeking for your own honor. We find that the, the, the temptation for each one of us is going to be to come to Jesus for our own ends. And the leaders show us these false responses to Jesus as a warning to us, as a warning to us to go, I don't, I don't actually want to be like the Jewish leaders whose mind is made up. God, my mind's not made up. You are going to do the things that you want to do, and I will follow you wherever that leads. God, I'm actually not coming to you just so I can get the relationship that I want, so I can get the money that I want, so that I can get the recognition and the honor and the freedom that I want. God, I will follow you no matter where it leads. The third application that we find here in this, in this passage is that the soundtrack of Christianity sounds like freedom. The soundtrack of Christianity is not condemnation, but instead freedom. I'm reminded as I read this trial and I see the guilty put to death the innocent for the sake of the guilty. And I hear like, and here Jesus is innocent but let's kill Jesus in place of Barabbas, who's guilty. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. that says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. This is the part that I love. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending 
his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be finally, might be fully met in us. This, this passage, Romans 8, says that Christianity sounds like no condemnation. It sounds like freedom because what we could not do and what the law could not do for us, God did, sending his own son for us. And so the soundtrack of Christianity, that could be rules and it could be condemnation and it could be guilt and it could be work harder and it could be do better. Instead, we find in this trial and we find in Romans 8, 1, that this, the, the, the sound of Christianity sounds like freedom. It sounds like there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the invitation to you and I is to join in this call. Join in this call by hearing it and saying, God, I want to hear the true sound of Christianity. There are voices from outside and voices from inside my heart that tell me you're not doing enough. God doesn't love you. That you gotta do more. You've gotta work harder. God, God is not pleased with you. We have to not settle for less than the true sound of Christianity, the true soundtrack. This sounds like freedom that says there is no condemnation because what you could not do and what the law could not do in your place, God did it for you. And so we, we are called to join in this call by hearing it and not settling for less, but then becoming transformed so that we begin to sound like that, so that we begun, become relays of this sound. As we begin to be people that sound like freedom people, so when a friend is encouraging another friend, that, that it sounds like freedom. That when one person is discipling another and trying to encourage and equip them, it sounds like freedom and not condemnation. So that when, when one spouse is trying to build up and encourage the other, it sounds like freedom and not condemnation. And here's the hard thing. So that parenting gets a different kind of sound. Like you need to measure up and you need to be better than, than you are. You need, to, you need to be good enough. People in this family are better than the way you're behaving. That doesn't sound like the soundtrack of Christianity. The soundtrack of Christianity in parenting sounds like freedom and not condemnation. And so we have to, we are invited to become transformed so that we sound like God sounds. The invitation for us is to join in this call, to hear it, and then to begin to pass that on. Then we can begin to imagine how the world, our world can be transformed as we begin to be, be shaped with this idea. When we look at Jesus' trial and we, we see that the, the innocent was put to death by the guilty in, for the sake of the guilty, then we become transformed to become people that sound like freedom people. We begin to be transformed as we encourage one another. We begin to be transformed when we're not shaped and molded and pressured by our own guilt, but instead by freedom. We become transformed. And then our families and our blocks and our friendships and our church and our communities and people all over the world can become transformed by that same message of freedom. And I think that changes everything.